Hello and welcome to B-Side, where we revisit business world stories and tell a few of our own. The enhanced community quarantine is set to be lifted, and with the lifting of the lockdown comes the potential resurgence of COVID-19 cases, the dreaded second wave we keep hearing about. How ready are our hospitals to deal with a probable influx of patients needing urgent care? Elsewhere in the world, the shortage of ventilators dominated headlines. In this episode, SparkUp multimedia reporter Patricia Mirasol speaks to Equilife medical founder Abitina Valenzuela about the allocation and management of life-saving equipment, such as ventilators, during a pandemic. So maybe we can start about the story behind Equilife Medical. When was it founded? Why was it founded? I must admit that before this interview, I thought that all hospitals owned all the equipment they used. Hey, a brief introduction. I'm Abed Valenzuela. I'm the founder and CEO of Equilife. I founded it seven years ago. And what my company does is we help hospitals in emerging markets, especially like the Philippines, adapt to the ever-changing needs of a critical care unit by providing them equipment and services in this space. So what does that mean exactly? So whether it's for hospitals to access new tech immediately or to adjust in terms of quantity of equipment available, that's where we help them. And besides the assets and the equipment and the devices, We also ensure that once these equipment are in the hospital, we also are able to provide them with specialists to operate them on site. And then besides that, we can also include the maintenance services such as biomedical engineers, allowing them to advantage and use these equipment in its maximum potential. So it's really three things that we're trying to help hospitals with access, operational expertise, and maintenance expertise. Because we believe a holistic approach to the provision of these specialized equipment is the way to go for hospitals. I mean, with everything going on inside an intensive care unit, we can imagine that it's quite challenging and taxing, not just for the doctor, not just for the nurse or the administrator. So we make sure that our contracts and our services are flexible enough to adapt to an ICU's growing needs. With all the things happening inside an ICU, we could imagine the time of the nurses and the doctors really go into so many other things besides just taking care of the patient. Added help and specialization in managing these equipment and these operations behind just the direct care for the patient. We believe that if we do that, we can give back doctors more time, give back the nurses more of their time to put back to the patient. So we really want to help them run faster because of this. So it's really a service that goes beyond just the product. So that's what we've been doing. And I started it because actually I was exposed to the importing business in the medical space growing up. And I mean, that's the typical landscape of medical equipment here in the Philippines. A lot of it is really imported. We rely very heavily on that. And when this device that we were selling and importing was going into the hospital, I noticed that the patients who were going to use the equipment was already waiting for a long time. And imagine delivering it to a hospital, one piece of equipment that they were already waiting for for 60 or 90 days. The lines rack up and they've been waiting. And these patients can't wait another day. And when you do deliver that piece of equipment, there's more than one person who's waiting to use it. So what are you going to tell those other patients? Hey, wait, we're going to do another PO or a purchase order. I mean, you, you can't do that. So that's why innovation really needed to happen in this space. So it's not just about bringing in or buying one piece of equipment. It's about how many equipment do you need today? Is there a service that can help me add into my capacity and adjust to take care of more patients? And that's what we help doctors and hospitals with. Wow, sounds fascinating and also very comprehensive. You don't just do sales, but also 
operations mm-hmm. and maintenance and demand planning. So, right. So it is like a management contract. So we do help hospitals take care of that side of the equipment life cycle. Tell me more about this industry. Is this a big industry in the Philippines? How many players are there? There are a lot of medical device importers, resellers, especially with such a globalized world. As long as you're capable, you can bring in pieces of equipment or devices, right? But I think what's most important here is partnering with the right equipment manufacturer. So making sure that the asset in itself is well-made, well-designed, and very reliable because we are in health. And then once it's here, it's also making sure that all of the added services are there. So I'd say there are a lot of people who resell and sell. We're really the one who put together the holistic approach to providing this kind of service. So it is really equipment, on-site operators, and maintenance. It'll be very hard to find another one who does it in this way. Are there any surprising things you discovered about this industry that you didn't expect coming in? When I started this, I was 24. So when I was 24, I was really hopeful of everything, really excited. And I think that played a big part in me being very curious into how we could do things better. Because if it was all about just making a sale, I would have been contented with selling one piece of equipment inside the hospital. But what surprised me is this deep-set need of hospitals and patients and doctors. I mean, there's so much smart and helpful people inside the hospitals. And they're all really doing their best. But when I started to meet them and talk to them, they had all of these other needs that were really just not filled yet because the industry was so reliant on just giving them pieces of equipment. It's, it's like a piecemeal deal. And there's really a big lack of providers to really connect the dots for the hospitals and for the healthcare system. Because of that, that's really one of the driving factors and why I think Equilife Medical is able to make a difference in this space. Our country has some of the best health workers in the world. The Filipino quality and like nurses, doctors, allied care therapists, and other service providers is really deep set in providing patients with quality care. This is something we should really put attention to and help build some more. So in my company, besides having all of these equipment, we make sure that our people are well-trained and you know they're even taught other kinds of soft skills to make them more confident in doing what they do. I want to dwell on healthcare workers later, but for now, I want to talk a little bit about the health of the healthcare industry. Based on what you told me, it sounds like the healthcare industry has always been struggling. So now I'm wondering mm-hmm. about the state of the healthcare industry now, what with the uh, mm-hmm. global pandemic. So how has mm-hmm. this corona crisis affected the healthcare system? And how is the sector responding to these obstacles? When the pandemic hit, I mean, especially really hard you know, a month ago, and we're still in the middle of it, uh, one of the biggest parts of the industry shaken is the supply chain. It is, you know, getting things from point A to point B, having enough of certain devices. And, you know, there was news of lacking ventilators, hoarding respirators. And this is, this is really putting a question mark on, you know, why don't we have enough of these pieces of devices, right? Because of that, I really think that we should also consider that pandemics are not 
the basis of how we should plan the entire supply storage system. Because as hospital or health provider, there are different kinds of diseases that we also need to take care of and manage. And the job of a hospital or health facility is to be ready for anything. Good day or bad day, you're ready to help the people in need. What we are in right now is something we call a peak in a niche, specifically on respiratory, specifically on the lungs. And this really put a surge in the demand of any kind of respiratory products. And the way we should be addressing it is to look at hospitals in a macro scale, like look at it in its entirety to create peak coping mechanisms to manage overflows. So it's not about how many of these devices do we have in one region, it is how many do we have in total. And then it's about reallocating it into the different areas where it's needed the most. And that's also something that we've been doing for seven years. So the way we work is our fleet of equipment is centralized and then it's divided across member hospitals in our system. So that's how we can always adjust and reallocate to give hospitals who have the most need what they really need at certain times. So I think this is also how it's going to help in the future. This is going to be a learning experience for policymakers and bigger corporations of how to budget in this kind of scenario. Wow, what you said makes sense. I was looking at your 2018 services brochure and I saw that you're selling different types of mechanical ventilators and infusion and syringe pumps and all these things. How Equilife Medical was dealing with the current challenges specifically given that some of your products are the ones that are most in demand right now. We had to reallocate it, right? Yes. So since the assets are managed by our company, we know where they are in a sense, and we're able to take care of moving it and bringing it into facilities which have a tremendous need. It's important to note in managing things this way, we always take into consideration the kind of facility that we're dealing with because not all facilities are the same or have the same needs. Having that ability to address that was really helpful for us to bring goods where they were needed, basically. And besides the need for the assets and the devices, we're also able to add the support for training to get people ready to use these devices. So besides our own employees working inside the hospitals and operating these devices, we had to support other hospitals who also needed it. So you can imagine it was really an inflow of hospitals trying to gain access to these respirators and ventilators, right? So Since, of course, our resources are also finite, the way we were able to cope was to have our own respiratory therapists work with their people to train them immediately to use these devices in a matter of days. It was quite challenging in the beginning, especially with the lockdown. I mean, one, there's the pandemic, but second, there's the logistic side of it. But thankfully, we also have a lot of good people. And when this coronavirus hit, I saw a lot of good people rise up and really show up and be present and help as much hospitals as they could. Ultimately, we have enough mechanical ventilators and all these other things. It's just a matter of properly allocating it to the right institutions. I think it's not one definitive answer because, of course, like the needs change every day. But I would say the best way to cope with it is by allocating and reallocating it again and again where it's needed because that's how we can create a flow. So you mentioned the logistics. How are Mm -hmm. you dealing with the logistics? What with the uh, checkpoint and the different regulations for barangay or for city? 
I think I divide that into two things, the challenge of it as a company and the challenge to employees in particular. So number one, as a company, we actually didn't face much challenges there because the vehicles, the ones moving the devices were able to move because of the markings in the car and all of this. But the challenge for the first week was really for employees. Imagine nurses and therapists who had to get up and go to work and they couldn't go to work because somebody in a certain area wouldn't allow them to. And it was challenging. A lot of explanation had to be done. And I think this is also something to think of after this pandemic of how we can also increase the education of people to know how to address certain announcements and and things like that. I can imagine the hardships of your employees going to and from work because of the lack of public transport nowadays. Yes, you have to move them closer to their workspaces. It's something we did not just for the ecosystem so we could keep on servicing the clients, but something we, we had to do for them because doing their work in itself became more taxing because of the flow of patients who needed the help, but also now to take care of them physically so they won't be too tired. We moved them closer to where the workspace is. That's good to know. I'm sure they appreciate that a lot. Talking about taxing work, uh, I know that healthcare workers are among the most in-demand professionals right now. As a leader, how are you helping your employees cope with the mental and emotional demands of the job, especially these days? Mm -hmm. Because it's the uncertainty mm -hmm. of things that wear people mm -hmm. down. Okay, that's a really good question. When this started, like I said a while ago, this is really where I saw so much people rise up. It is like a war, right? During a war, you find heroes and there are some who run away. But we have to focus on those people who show up. It's this kind of pride that I keep on carrying because when I see my people or my team doing what they do, it's also what keeps me as a leader motivated. What we do is we have groups where we send pictures to each other of what we do for the day. It's really inspiring because when the health workers or the people on the road roving share their pictures so since they're in ppes all you can see are their eyes we have this ongoing joke of who has the best smiles and i would even say this is very distinctly filipino in a sense that we really try to persevere by finding peace happiness despite challenging times and this is something we try to push with everybody because it's something that will keep everybody going on a more serious note, I think when this also hit, this is where every health worker or frontliner's job really turned into a profession. This is where they were also tested. Everyone was tested. If what you chose to do for your living is actually something you wanted to do. You know, I think a lot of people got answers in the last weeks of why they do what they do. So to also take care of each other besides sending each other pictures, we also installed learning initiative because as health professionals, besides the mental side, what actually keeps them going is knowing what to do. We have these continuous learning programs that also helps them be more confident and be more sure of what they're doing on a daily basis. So not everything is, I would say, like a question mark. We don't know what's going to happen yet because we're in the middle of it. But as a health provider, there are parts of your work that you really need to be sure of. And that's what we keep on you know, pushing and banking on, the sure parts of the work. Focus on what's important. Focus on your core. A lot of people are really working hard and a lot of people are stepping up and I'm just so proud of everyone. And this is something we also want to take with us after the pandemic, this push for extra learning and extra education because it really helps build up the health worker, or the employee. Talking about takeaways, how do you think this crisis will shape your company's growth moving forward? 
I'd like to say that this pandemic is like a crossroads. It's a make or break. When it peaked, I would say a couple of weeks ago, we had to decide and say, is this going to make or break us? And we decided then and we choose to say that it's going to make us. What that means is we are carrying this belief and confidence that whatever we planned on why we're doing what we're doing, why we're helping more hospitals, why we want to make sure that these hospitals have enough of the equipment, why we want to help them with operations, is the same reason we're going to push forward with our growth. So we, we still plan and we do plan to expand into more hospitals, especially in the southern regions. The southern provinces, southern regions could really use this kind of service. So actually more than ever, we're more excited to be present there. As a matter of fact, I was talking to my team and we were telling each other, sana dati pa. Sana we were also there earlier. But we're here now and we're just going to try to go there quicker. So this is really pushing us to move faster, open in more hospitals, open in more regions, and build our team faster. And that's why we're looking for really good leaders. We want to fight that good fight, and we're looking for more champions who want to pave that way with us. I like that attitude, very upbeat. What do you think the landscape of the healthcare industry will be like post-pandemic? I like that question. We get asked a lot, what's going to change? Are things going to change? I would say it'll change in two parts, in an institutional and government part, in a personal and individual aspect. For governments and institutions, this pandemic will change the way institutions and government design more policies, be more prepared. And hopefully, there will be enough resources allocated to keep these checkpoints for us running to keep our nation secured. And for individuals, I'd say there's really going to be this push for general wellness and hygiene for everyone. It will keep as a reminder for us that things could happen and we always need to be prepared. Back to the government, I also wanted to add that what I hope that this will teach everyone is that preparedness is not a result of just one policy. It is like a system. So the kind of policies made are not just going to affect one department. It has to be an interdepartment initiative that creates like a distribution system of services, medicine, and, and all of that to help the public. Talking about preparedness, what types of companies do you think will ride out this crisis better? I mean... What characteristics mm -hmm. does a company have to be crisis-proof? Just yesterday, I was talking to one of my colleagues, and we were saying that there are different formulas for companies to succeed, but only one a set of very specific reasons why companies fail. We have all different success stories, right? But the things I know we shouldn't do is give up. The, the companies that will not make it are the companies who will not be flexible, are the companies who will not be patient, persevering, hardworking, and also, of course, innovative. You can still be the same company. You can still have a company after this. But the question is, how are you going to let it affect you? I mean, of course, this is not to say that, I mean, the truth of this crisis is, of course, things will change. But every company, I believe, I strongly believe as an entrepreneur, every company built as a result of something that just didn't work. And if something doesn't work, it's a call for people to be entrepreneurs again. How will we go through this after the few months and when the vaccine is made? How, how are we going to redesign ourselves and our organization to fit that new world? It's also a matter of adaptability and agility, mm -hmm. I guess, and resilience. We're almost at the end of our interview. Is there anything I should have asked? I think everything's good. I'd always want to share that, at least in the healthcare industry, this is also a call for the bright, 
fast, hungry builders of our country to start taking a look at healthcare more. This is going to shed such a big light on the healthcare industry that I think it's going to attract a lot of talent. And I think the industry is so excited for that. I'm more excited rather than are worried because disruption will start, but I think we should welcome it. But when I talk about disruption in terms of healthcare, of course, we mean to tread the road lightly and carefully because move fast and break things doesn't necessarily work in healthcare. We move fast, but we cannot break things. So, you know, I think that's a welcome aspect. It's something we also always keep in our company. We welcome talent. We welcome hungry builders who want to look into how else we can help hospitals and how else we can help patients. Thank you so much for all these wonderful insights. And uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. We really appreciate it. This basically concludes our interview. All right. Thank you, Pat. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard SparkUp Multimedia reporter Patricia Mirasol and Equilife Medical founder Abetina Valenzuela talking about the innovation that's taking place in the healthcare industry. There's a lot of room to grow and improve medical service and make care accessible. The pandemic has only accelerated the pace at which innovation must take place. This episode was recorded remotely on April 23. This is Sam L. Marcello. Thanks for listening. Keep safe and keep sane.